Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Stop trying to retrofit old old ways of gathering data about individuals into new systems and tools and start thinking differently about how you collect the data and manage the data um, and what data it is that you're looking for. Amen, sister. And that's where I think recruitment marketing can play the biggest role. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. We're back. What's up, everybody? This is Joel Cheeseman. You are listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chad Sowash. And today, boy, are we honored to welcome Alain Bailey, global talent leader, to the show. You may have... Remembered her from our chat in Banff when we could actually travel and go places. Alain, how have you been since Canada? I've been awesome. Can you believe Canada was literally a year ago? That was the last excursion away from my house. Yeah. Thank God we had that. Otherwise, no travel in 2000 (laughs) or 2020. Something to look forward to. That's for damn sure. Uh, You're in Oregon, correct? Yeah, I'm in Oregon. That was kind of a shit show like most other places. Exactly. It was a shit show. I mean, I think it's um, I'm happy 2020 is over. Um, I think we're finally getting into 2021. So we're getting past the hangover and into something that looks like it's going to be a bit. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was the year that everybody had. It wasn't fun, but um, we're out the other side, I think. So things have changed a tad 
since our last conversation, this whole COVID thing took over, we've all been in our homes, all of these positions that could never be done from home magically started being done from home. Chad, we don't want to know about all the positions you've done at home. Okay? <laughs> exactly. Or do you? Or do you? <laughs> anyway, so, so Alin, being at Intel, mm-hmm. how much of a change was that for you? Was it as big of a train wreck for your organization as it was for the rest of the world? Or did you guys pretty much have this shit all figured out because you were remote and hybrid and all that other fun stuff beforehand? So we weren't. We were we're very office-based culture. We, we really were. I have worked from home for the last um, 10 years and I was always an um, anomaly, right? I would show up into the office for meetings and people thought I was from one of the other sites because they thought I was traveling <laughs> in. And I just, I went with that for years. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, great to see you. Great, I was able to fly in. Looks good. And then drive home 10 minutes to my house. Uh, But we adjusted quickly. Um, I don't really remember it feeling painful. I think we had, um, as most companies did, we we had some IT issues early on. They got resolved within the first couple of weeks and um, everybody got into a rhythm. And and now we're moving into the post-COVID era. And I think it's, there will be classes or pieces within our business operations that will want to go back into the office. Um, Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I think particularly in, in uh, the people space and in the, in the TA space, we'll, we'll mostly be working what we're calling hybrid, which basically means from our house. And if they make us come in for a meeting, we'll go. So Intel staying flexible on the work from home because a lot of these big tech companies, they, they, they lied. They talked a good game early on. They we're, lied. We're, we're never going back. And now it's sort of like, you know what? We're paying these leases. Everybody get your ass back to work. Not at Intel. Huh? Yeah, no, I think that I, I think that there will be, like I said, there will be regions or spaces or business groups because, you know, we're very um, we operate on a very um, business group by business group basis. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of decisions get made um, at that very kind of direct level. And so there will be some business groups that will tell everybody to get their butts back in the office um, because that's just the way their leaders choose to operate. Um, I don't think it will last long because I think there'll be an overwhelming number of groups who will go for the hybrid option. And, and we are offering an option um, in some spaces for business groups who want to go completely virtual. Well, let's talk about that real quick, though. Nate, we're talking about leaders, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I think you just hit the nail on the head. We have so many leaders that don't know how to lead unless you are sitting right in front of them. And I would have assumed that we would at least started to hone our management skills uh, and, and hopefully provide a little bit more autonomy to our teams. But as Joel had said, it seems like it's still control over autonomy. And uh-huh. this is more, I think, more management per manager than it is really company. What do we do about something like that? Do we have to like train managers to let go and start to learn how to be a leader outside of the office? Yeah, I mean, I think, yes, we do need to do that. But I don't necessarily think it's a trainable thing. I think this is this is much more, um, I think, um, personality and experience driven. Um, then it is a, a trainable skill. I mean, you, you can get a bunch of people in a room who all nod and agree that it all sounds um, great on paper um, for everybody to remote. And then, and then the minute they they're in that situation, their um, their worst devils start to come out, right? Their worst instincts um, start to happen. I mean, I tell you what, like I said, I've been working remote for ten years. Um, I want all these people to go back to the office because I was much more peaceful when I alone was working remote and nobody bothered me. <laughs> 
<laughs> like all these people are now working remote and think they have to have a Zoom meeting for every small little conversation that we need to have, yeah. right? Like, like you forgot how to use their um, IMs, right? <laughs> like everything is everything is a is a face to face conversation. And yeah, you mentioned Zoom. Um, what other tools were introduced, whether it be general business or recruiting wise, uh, that you either liked or didn't like? And how many of those will you still be using once the world goes back to normal? Yeah, you would think we introduced a lot, but we, we really didn't. That's one of our biggest challenges is that because we have such a bureaucracy around getting um, tools and systems in place um, across the enterprise and each just don't have the ability to bring something in and use it. We did have, uh, we did do a large kind of larger migration from an enterprise level over to Teams, and, and I think that you're seeing more uptick in usage of that, and and that's helped. Um, we had issues even bringing Zoom on board. Right, it wasn't necessarily the approved option, and it was the thing that our virtual um, event teams wanted to use for you know virtual college events or other hiring events. Yeah, and that was challenging to get our uh, to get us you know, in there and you say a lot of recruiters were getting their bootleg licenses up and going. <laughs> well, what was Intel using before Zoom? Like I, that's, that blows my mind. Were you guys using video technology to talk? No, 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 not at all. No, no, was in the, right? No, because everybody, literally everybody was in the office of the cube where we were having virtual, fa- we were having face-to-faces. People <sighs> would talk on the phone on Skype, right? But like video conferencing was not a thing. Uh-huh. Um, it's a thing now, but it wasn't. I mean, I think that's the biggest transition. Um, we came into the modern age. Wow. You've been writing a lot about talent acquisition transformation. How has the transformation changed pre-COVID to now? Because it seems like we're entirely different worlds and transformation means something much different than what it did two years ago. Wow. You just hit like the um, the existential question for me. Um, does it still exist? I Right? Oh, my goodness. I feel like in a therapy session to talk through this one. I Here's my experience. I think that um, uh, pre-COVID, we were on a really strong trajectory for really advancing some, some pretty radical changes to the way in which we were doing things. And it took us four or five years to get there. So there was this huge momentum behind it. Um, I think the impact of COVID was panic. And panic created uh, real conservative behaviors, a lot of backsliding into, into past behaviors and patterns, you know, where we were really transforming and trying to focus on the idea of quality and uh, focus in on how we could um, create pipelines over time and, and really create value that way. As COVID came into play, uh, people got more panicked about what the future was going to hold. We had reductions like most companies did and most teams did. Um, the issues around cost and efficiency came back up to the top. So the transformation conversation has really turned into one that, that says, can you take where you were going pre-COVID and, and the directions that we were heading and can we alter them and come up with a new path forward um, that is not overly indexed either for quality, time, or cost. Like it, it has a good balance. Did it like slam you through warp speed in some cases with regard to transformation? Because many of these things, I'm sure technologies, processes were on the table prior and COVID happened. And it's like, shit, we got to do this now. So it, it almost seems like some of the, at least some aspects were really slammed through the funnel warp speed. Some were, I mean, some, but, but some were also slammed shut immediately. Like what? Uh, so I would say like, as we were going through massive technology improvements, we were in the process of bringing on AI technology to, to support our sourcers and to do um, AI scoring and matching, right? 
um, that accelerated its speed. And, and we went much quicker into introducing that into our different regions because it was something we already purchased. We had the funds behind it and we knew that we were going to have um, less body resources. We had to we had to supplement that with the technology. In other spaces where there were um, opportunities, for example, for us to go much faster on things like um, assessment or how do we go in and apply um, video interviewing technology and places like that, we we slammed shut, right? And said, we can't absorb any change and we can't move any faster on these things because we need to understand what tomorrow is. Big companies like, like Intel, these big, large enterprise companies are naturally change resistant. Mm-hmm. They just are. And um, any sort of abnormality in the environment um, makes everything go quiet. Fear reigns the day, right? Um, not knowing what to predict and, and what's going to happen um, makes all the pocketbook shut down, all the resources shut down. And, and that's been a challenge. Now, our company has also seen a major shift over the last um, couple of months. We had a new CEO come in, a very different energy start to happen in the company, um, a big focus on um, how we're going to kind of help move that semiconductor bandwidth forward for the country. And I think that has meant more focus on how many people we're bringing in, how fast we can bring them in. And people are starting to dust off all the old plans and and starting to move them forward again. But it's been this long, it's been a good year before we've been able to start looking forward. I was going to say, you paint a pretty dire picture for big co-recruiting. Do you feel like that's unique to Intel? Like when you when you hang out with your other big company buddies, is it the same story? Um, and if so, uh, how do you fix it? And how, how are there not droves of people going to smaller, more agile businesses, if that's the case? So I think there are droves of people going to smaller, more agile businesses. Okay. We'll talk about that. Um, but I also think that I, I think it is the, the same case for many of the more traditional enterprise companies. On the flip side, I think there is a second class of company that is coming up. Companies like the Cargill's out there, um, GM is doing this. I've been talking to several companies out there who are accelerating um, their desire to want to take on transforming their talent acquisition or their larger HR infrastructures. So I don't think it's a one size fits all, but I think that many of the companies that were in motion um, may have stopped and those that were just on the beginnings of it or are realizing they have to make a change because what they're doing isn't working are accelerating. Um, it's a really, it's a hodgepodge. It's hard to point and say it's all the same everywhere. Yeah, I wouldn't exactly think of Cargill and GM as, uh, you know, poster children for innovation. So that was an interesting <laughs> uh, couple of brands you pulled out there. That's interesting. Well, and I'll tell you from talking to them, the stuff they're getting ready to do in their TA space is going to revolutionize the world. I think that's, and and we don't recognize them or see them out there because they're not talking about it that much yet. Ooh, but Say more. What are they doing? What's going on? I, I think that Cargill um, is doing some really interesting, they've been driving transformation for a while in their TA space. They're doing some really interesting stuff and it's it's driven out of the regions, which is a very different approach. It's not necessarily a US-led approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are doing some cool stuff. Uh, they're starting with technology innovation and redoing their process design stuff. I'm probably talking out of house and shouldn't be sharing all this, but I am anyway. Keep going. You get when you chat with me, um, right. and uh, and I know that GM, you know, they're they have a new CEO as well. They're doing some um, pretty dramatic shifts as a company, and I think um, TA they're seeing talent, and TA is a big driver in that space. And I I have rumor that they got some cool people landed over there really soon to do some neat stuff. So 
So tech, this is mainly driven by tech. And then they're finally starting to understand that you can't use your 1990s process methodologies and slam them into the yeah. tech. I mean, there, it, it sounds yeah. like really an implosion of everything that's going on and a rethinking of their, their whole shop. Right. That's, that's exactly what's happening. And I think what's happening in those sorts of companies, uh-huh. these sorts of solutions are getting accelerated because people sat back and said, uh, you know, in, in the middle of COVID or, or right before, or right in the middle of it or afterwards said, listen, I need more technology because I, I, I need to be able to go quicker and faster. They started to put them into place and realized it's not a panacea, right? You, you, you get the technology and you have to then think differently about how your entire business operates. So let me ask you a question on, on that as we look to prospectively implode talent acquisition. Does talent acquisition belong under HR or should it be under something like marketing? I believe talent acquisition should be under HR. Okay. I, I think that I think that there is a marketing element. Mm-hmm. I think you can make a very strong case for the recruitment marketing elements um, and it, to be actually more marketing centered than recruiting centered. I'm coming more and more to that realization, even though I fought it for a long time. Um, but I think the business of talent acquisition, understanding talent, talent needs, understanding the workforce plan and being to ec- able to execute to land people in the right opportunities, that's an HR function. Now, where it's not working well as an HR function is where companies are not realizing that it needs to be fully integrated into the way they think about their full talent management life cycle, mm-hmm. right? Not just, you know, hire some people and, and throw some recruiters out there and, and manage the transaction of hiring. Those companies that have moved TA into the transactional spaces or kept them in the transactional spaces and not put TA at the table with um, learning and development, um, with workforce planning, with succession planning, are missing the opportunity to build a full talent strategy. So why is internal mobility finally on the table. It's like it's been non-existent. Nobody's sure if TA owns it, if HR owns it, who owns it. Now, it seems like kind of like DEI, everybody's talking about internal mobility and trying to figure it out. I don't know how much faster they're going, but why is IM so big right now? I think people are talking about it. I don't think anybody's doing anything about it. There you go. I I think it's the new buzzword. I mean, I I think that everybody realizes that they have an internal mobility challenge, that they Uh have two big things coming at them like a tsunami. One, as the world starts to open up and people are feeling less afraid um, about where their next paycheck is coming from, they're looking back at the last year and realizing whether they were happy or not happy uh, with the way their life is going or the way their work is going. And they're feeling much more... um, open to looking other places for jobs. And I think there the internal mobility push is partly um, a response to trying to solve that problem before before it hits everybody where they can't manage it. And I think the other issue is, is that honestly, I think internal mobility, just like AI five or six years ago, is like the new technology buzzword. All the tech firms and everybody that you're getting a demo from is talking about how everybody's talking about internal mobility and how's how you're going to solve it. And so everybody thinks it's a cool thing. They think everybody else has solved it. They think everybody else is doing it. And I have yet to talk to anybody who's got internal mobility working. It's important. We need to focus on it. But yeah. there are bigger, the, the biggest issues around internal mobility have to do with how your business operates. Are you willing to allow your talent to be free range talent inside your organization? It's commercial time. You already know that Sovereign makes the world's best resume CV parser. But 
Did you know that Sovereign also makes the world's best AI matching engine? Only Sovereign's AI matching engine goes beyond the buzzwords. With Sovereign, you control how the engine thinks. With every match, the Sovereign engine tells you what matched and exactly how each matching document was scored. And if you don't agree with the way it scored the matches, you can simply move some sliders to tell it to score the matches your way. No other engine on earth gives you that combination of insight and control. With Sovereign, matching isn't some frustrating black box, trust us, it's magic, one-shot deal like all the others. No. With Sovereign, matching is completely understandable, completely controllable, and actually, kind of fun. Sovereign. Software so human, you'll want to take it to dinner. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions? And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the chat and cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, text kernel uh-huh. brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. Text Kernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey, kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that, that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener, get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> it's showtime. Well, and again, that's a control versus autonomy conversation, which if your if your organization is moving more toward autonomy, you're hoping to open up for more L&D and more vertical and, and horizontal moves, right? Right. You're hoping to. But again, there's a it's a, that requires it requires an individual manager or leader to make it safe for somebody to feel like they can look internally. Um, it then, of course, requires you to have systems in place that allow finding a job or an opportunity internally is easy. Yeah. And it also means that you have to um, reduce our bias that external is better. I I think that's part of the challenge as well. I think um, I did a whole bunch of work this last year on um, executive mobility and looking at executive recruiting. And it is so much easier. Um, We know it it, in general that it's easier often to get hired for a job externally than it is 
internally. But we find that as we start looking particularly at executive roles or more leadership roles, it's even harder to find something internally than a normal role. And part of the reason is, is that you have all your history and baggage associated with the company. And we have all of these guardrails around um, all the things that you have to prove or gates you have to pass in order for us to see you as relevant if you're internal. Whereas if you're external, we just assume you've done all those things. Yeah. Remember that time Joel ate all the jelly donuts? He's not getting a promotion. Right. I mean, huh? Hey, Lynn, I want to pivot back to something Chad said in regards to what belongs in marketing. And I was curious uh, a little bit about employment brand. Do they belong in marketing in your your estimation? Or does anyone belong in marketing? They seem like the most obvious choice, but... So I'm going to tell you yes and. Um, I think yes, they do belong. Um, They have marketing as their business. I'm really coming to a belief that employer brand is actually a fallacy. That if you have a good brand, then you should have a good employer. Like it's all one thing. Join the dark side. Lynn. I know. It's warm in our water. It's it's good over here. I know. I can't believe I got there after all these years. But <laughs> on the flip side, I will say that the one thing that marketing does not necessarily do well and that good recruitment marketing needs to do in order to support the talent acquisition space is collect and manage data about candidates over time, right? The, the one value add I think recruitment marketing can provide to today's talent acquisition suite is the ability through their relationship and their engagement with candidates in purposeful ways to get the most relevant and up-to-date information, to get people to spill the beans and tell us about themselves at the right cadence at the right time. And that data is so important for us to put into all these um, great technology systems we have into place, right? I mean, AI is fabulous, but it's only fabulous if you have like data and information. If you're relying on a resume, you're you're dead in the water. So being able to transition from that, we're, we're hearing about all these algorithms. First off, we don't have the data to be able to crunch the algorithms, a lot of the clean data that is. And I point to job descriptions, which are shit. So how do we how do we actually implement some of these great technologies if we don't have the clean data to actually get them to crunch on? I, tell, a, tell us a data story, Alain. I'm going to tuck myself in here for a second. And <laughs> So I think we've got to get smarter about what data it is that we're actually looking at. Mm-hmm. So the, the biggest challenge I think we have today and the reason why we think data is garbage, right, is because the two primary sources of data that we use are one, job descriptions, which we just discussed are crap, right? Because what job description actually reflects a job? We, we know that, that that's not the case. There's lots of reasons for that. The biggest one being that jobs are dynamic. I ask anybody right now to think about the job they're doing today and go back and look at the job description they applied to and see if it's anything like it, right? There, there are so many nuances and elements to a job that you just can't put on a piece of paper. So that's the challenge. Two, the second piece of data that we use and that everybody's like got all these great parsing engines that they're all, you know, everybody's screaming about how fabulous they are and putting them into systems is the resume, right? But the resume is also a load of crap. Why? The resume is all self-reported data. So if your resume 
is really bad, it's because you wrote a bad resume. It's not because you haven't done stuff, right? And the second reason is that everybody formats it differently, uses it differently. And the last time somebody provided you a resume is the last visibility you have of who they are. So it's static again, and people are not static. They're dynamic. They learn things. They have new experiences, et cetera. So I think the answer to this data problem is we've got to switch what data we're looking at. We have to start looking at asking asking for data at different times, asking for it in different ways and collecting it in different ways. What if you use all the fabulous chatbots, right? And you had those chatbots actually pre-thinking and asking questions that relate specifically to the fields you have in your systems and, and that they were going back and re-asking for that information at the right cadence so it's updated and relevant. Stop trying to retrofit old ways of gathering data about individuals into new systems and tools and, and start thinking differently about how you collect the data and manage the data um, and what data it is that you're looking for. Amen, sister. Oh. And that's where I think recruitment marketing can play the biggest role because how am I going to get somebody to give me new information on a regular basis? Well, because I have engagement with them and I give them something of value in return. Marketing um, knows how to do this. Come, you know, you want to participate in this webinar, fill out this little form, right? Instead, we're still using talent forms as static forms to put people into a dead CRM database. <laughs> oh, my brain hurts. Alyn Bailey, everybody. Thanks for joining Woo! us, Alyn. So... For those who want to know more about you, follow you, where should they go? Bali. No. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. coming. I'm coming. More on that later. No. Um, you can follow me on LinkedIn, um, Adeline Bailey, or on the Twitter, at Alyn Bailey. And um, I also have like a little podcast thingy that I do with Tracy Parson, um, which is uh, right now called the Recruitment Marketing Rebelcast, but we're, we're, we're spreading out because like I just said, I think recruitment marketing is dying. So as the talent Rebelcast, and uh, we, we put stuff out every once in a while. That's kind of interesting. What the fuck is a podcast? I know. Dig it. We, we out. out. Thank you for listening to, what's it called? A podcast. The chat. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know. And yet, you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. There's so many cheeses. And not one word. So weird. Anywho... Be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. 
redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.